Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of 100 Words or Less, the podcast. I am your host, Ray Harkins, sitting here today. New microphone and all. It's exciting. Anyways, we're at uh, episode number 49. I know I always make a big deal out of the episodes because I'm like so close to having a full year of episodes. Once I hit 52, it's going to be a big fucking deal. Not really, but I'll be excited. Anyways, our guest this week is John Contino from CXXVI Clothing. Uh, he's also an amazing graphic designer. And uh, once you visit his site, you'll be like, oh, I've seen that. Oh, I've seen that too. Holy shit, I've seen that as well. More on him in a minute. Propertyofzack.com. Go visit there. You'll be able to find the latest and most awesome new shit that's out there from new bands, new interviews, interesting perspectives on musical culture. Just do it. I love the site. We love our partnership. Boom. A few other items of business to get out of the way. Review the show. Go to iTunes. And I want to mention someone specifically because like me living in the United States of America, I'm not able to see if someone from a different country leaves some nice comment on iTunes because you have to switch stores and all this other shit. But uh, I found a program that enables me to see that stuff. And uh, there's a person from the UK. His username is Lickety Splat, which is creative. But he just left the nicest thing, and uh, I just really appreciate that. It was basically everything he said was exactly what I want people to get out of the show, which is just, you know, it, it fills your soul up. I read it, and it was like, yes, he gets it. That's fucking awesome. Um, so, yeah, go to iTunes. Drop some stars on there. It'll take you like two seconds. You don't have to write nice sentences if you don't want to. That's fine. I get it. We're all really busy. I've left like 10 reviews on iTunes my whole life, so I get it. But uh, if you do it, it just makes the show look that much cooler. And ultimately, that's what will help me continue to make the show, as long as it looks cool. Because if it, the second it doesn't look cool, I'm fucking out of here. <laughs> Not really, but... And then one other little thing I told you, if you've listened to the past few episodes, I've told you that I'll be berating you. It'll probably only be for one other episode. But there's a website called the avclub.com. Great website. You can visit there, see what's up with it. But they do a weekly column on podcasts. And part of it, they do a little new to us section where basically they highlight a podcast they don't regularly review. And I don't expect to get regularly reviewed on this site because they review like all of the most gigantic famous podcasts out there. But I would love it if we were able to sneak into that. So what I need you, the listener, to do is email them. Podmass at avclub.com. I think, you know, 10, 12 of you do this, it will be awesome because they'll start to say, oh, hey, a few people have been hitting us up about this show. So please do that. I will really appreciate it because for whatever reason, I'm fixated on that currently. So yeah, that's it. John Contino. He, I didn't know him at, at all. This conversation was the first conversation I've ever had with him. I've only interacted with him by viewing his website, looking at his design work and being like, man, it's fucking awesome. Uh, I got first tipped to him by a gentleman named Busky. He used to play bass in a band called Terror, and I've always loved his artwork. And uh, I think he posted something on his blog that basically said, hey, here's some artists that I personally love, and that's how I found out about John. And uh, I had no idea that he was really sort of an independent music slash hardcore kid. 
and then you'll come to here in our conversation where we just, oh, it's totally late 90s metalcore talk. And I apologize for those of you who give don't give two shits about that. That's totally fine. But the lessons that he does lay out in this show are great. Basically, anybody that works in a creative field, you will totally love what John has to say, the advice he has to give. And it's just really cool because you can do it on your own. Fuck what anybody else says. You can do it on your own. Pick it up. Learn it. If there's something that you're curious about, figure it out yourself. That's how anybody who, you know, that's involved in the DIY independent culture, that's what you do. You're like, oh, I want to learn about this, so I'm just going to do it. I'm going to suck at it for a long time, but then all of a sudden I'll get it and I'll be somewhat proficient or maybe even awesome at it. Um, so yeah, we talk about hustle and how much work that actually takes to learn shit. Uh, like I said, a lot of late 90s metalcore talk and then growing up with responsibility, just kind of having adulthood thrust upon you for various reasons. And also a big congratulations to him because he just had a kid like weeks ago. We did this interview uh, and you'll probably, I think that we mentioned it at some point where uh, we talk about, you know, having a kid. He's like now a father and like a baby's like maybe a month old. So congratulations to John. Here's my conversation with him and enjoy. Usually I start these things off with just like how I personally kind of found out about, you know, your, your creative output, so to speak, mm-hmm. was, uh, I don't know if you know uh, that, that dude, uh, Busky. Let's see. He, I don't think you do. Um, he's just trying to think. He used to play in Terror. He was the bassist in Terror. Oh, yeah. Okay. Sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. Like he, so he's a fellow designer, and I think he works at that merch company, Bravado, or something. In oh, here. holy shit. I follow that guy on like Instagram or, or, or Tumblr or something, and I couldn't place where I knew him from, but he was like – all his posts and stuff reference all these old hardcore bands that I knew from when I was younger, you know? Yeah. No, for sure. And like he – I can't remember because I, I used to work at the at Century Media, the label that Terror was on for a bit. Yeah, sure, sure. So I got to know him pretty well and was like always loved his art or whatever. Anyway, so he did a post one day. I was like, oh, here's artists that I'm like super into currently. Um, and he posted you. And then I just – I it's one of those things. I love when I like kind of open a door and I'm like, holy shit, there's this amazing <laughs> world that I wasn't aware of before. Yeah. <laughs> and so – and then it was even funnier where obviously I know you are a user of the music streaming service Ardio. Mm-hmm. And it was super random because then I was just like rifling through playlists. Like this was months ago. I subscribed to the playlist you put together of like early, you know, late 90s, early 2000s like metalcore. Nice. <laughs> it was so funny because then, like, I didn't realize, I didn't like, I had no connection to you. I was just like, oh, this is a fucking good playlist. And then, literally, like, two days ago, I was like, oh shit, that's John. Like, that's John. <laughs> Anyways, the, the moral of my story is the fact that, like, if you've been involved in, like, punk or hardcore or whatever, you were, like, a half a person removed from everybody. Like, oh, just, absolutely. Absolutely. And do you, so, like, do you find that still to this day where it's just, like, people you start to work with that do random, like, freelance jobs or whatever? Like, once you kind of find out you're part of the club, it's like, oh, you were that dude or you were, you know, going to shows the same time I was. It's such a sick thing. I mean, here's an example for you. Um, last night, I was just kind of, like, 
I just kind of messing around, like waiting to, you know, hopefully, you know, be called upstairs because my wife was going into labor. So I was just, just totally killing time, you know? Right. So I opened up a SoundCloud account and just started uploading all these demos from like back in the day. And uh, one of the bands was called Maybe Tomorrow that used to play. They were from like Eastern Long Island. Uh-huh. And when I did uh, my my Apple event in Soho uh, a couple of weeks ago, the guy who runs all the Apple event, um, all the Apple events in that store was like the singer or the guitarist of that band. <laughs> and we just sit, we were just sitting there and he's like, yeah, yeah. He was like, I was actually in one of your band shows when we decided that we were going to make a band. And I was like, Oh my God, that's so weird. Right. That's, it makes me happy though. Cause obviously it's like, you know, we've all been drawn to this community and like, no, but you know, people obviously do a million different things with their lives, but it's like you somehow like you always get kind of pulled back in to where it's like, oh yeah, like you know, especially if you're into the creative field, it's like right. you just always find people where it's like, oh cool, you've been able to make a living doing this, and like you still kind of you know go to shows, you still kind of care about it, and it's, it's right, awesome. right, it's totally awesome. So uh, without without getting too far ahead, so you, I presume, with obviously how uh, your your accent portrays yourself, um, you were you were, <laughs> You were you were born and raised in the uh, the 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 New York Long Island area. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every yeah, yeah. I mean, my family's like the typical kind of like um, Italian immigrant kind of story. You know, uh, came over here in the early 1900s and then kind of spread out from the Lower East Side into Brooklyn and Queens and Long Island, Staten Island, the Bronx, that whole kind of thing. You know. Right, right. So they did they did they have some amazing uh, immigration stories? Uh, no, you know, my, my great grandparents, I, I knew them, uh-huh. but, um, they, I was too young to really kind of soak up any of that stuff. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I, I kind of miss it. All the stories that I get now from like my grandfather, from like, uh, all, all this, my grandfather, my uncles and stuff, all the stuff they used to do like back in the day, like, you know, old Brooklyn and like the thirties and the forties and stealing potatoes and, and like, uh, you know, lighting fires on the street, <laughs> you know, all that kind of stuff. <laughs> I know, it's so, and it's so funny when like you hear those things and it's like, obviously you see them portrayed in movies and like, we have a sense of it, but it's like, that's so fucking insane. Like it's, it's insane. I know it really is. <laughs> Cause it's like, I look at like, you know, I look at the, the type of lives that, you know, most of us live and it's just like, it, it scares me to one point because it's like, I mean, I'm speaking for me personally. It's like, you know, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a crafty or a handy guy. Like I don't know how to fix shit. Like that's just yeah, me. Yeah. And so yeah, right. <laughs> I, I worry where I'm just like, Oh man, like is our whole culture missing something now? Because like, yeah, I know how to do shit with computers, but like, <laughs> where does that leave me? I know, I know, it's true. I mean, it's a different world. I mean, my well, my grandfather, my grandfather's a, an interesting case because I mean, he grew up in Brooklyn, mm-hmm. and you know, all the kind of stuff that you would you would imagine, all the kick the can, all the kind of you know, like the right. stealing food kind of stuff that you would imagine that kids in the '30s and the '40s would do. Um, but he um, he 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 put himself through college, and uh, he became an engineer and worked on. Uh, he he worked with like Bell Laboratories and and all those companies. Um, 9X and whoever, you know, I think that all those companies kind of eventually turned into Verizon, but mm-hmm. he, he worked on the development, I think of, uh, Unix. I oh think. shit. Yeah. So that was like all that stuff that they started doing then when he worked there and he worked on like the development of that, like way, way, way back when, like maybe in the sixties or so. Wow. Yeah. We're like where computers were, you know, the, the size of like seven rooms. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. He would, you know, he would like write code and stuff by hand, 
you know? That's amazing. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I know. It's just so, it's just awesome to think of that and to be able to be like, all right, well, obviously one day, like, you know, our kids are going to look back and be like, dude, like so fucking outdated what they were doing. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> um, and so you're, uh, you, you have brothers and sisters, right? Yeah, I have, I got, I have two brothers, two younger brothers. Okay. Yeah. And I know, I know that, uh, I mean, you've been very open about, you know, the, your, your brother having down syndrome and like, obviously mm-hmm. that he's younger than you. Yeah. He's, um, he's about like, uh, probably like 16 months younger than me. You oh, know, okay. like I was, I was born in the beginning of 83. He was born at the end of 84. Oh, got it. Um, yeah. And so that, like, I mean, obviously, like, you were, uh, you know, you were experiencing a different childhood in regards to the way that you were watching your brother grow up. Like, when did when did that sort of manifest itself? I'm just so interested in it because it's such a, uh, obviously, it's such a tough disease. But when a person is able to kind of come out the other side of it, like, like your brother, from what I understand, yeah. has. Um, yeah. It's like, yeah, when did it manifest itself and you started to notice that, like, maybe this isn't normal or whatever? Oh, man, I'll tell you, man, right away. Because, um when he was born, he had a lot of heart issues. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had open heart surgery, like within the first year he was alive. It was a specific type that I don't think had been successfully completed uh, many times, if at all, up until that point. So it was like really experimental too. Wow. Uh, but, uh, you know, he pulled through and and uh, we were we always had like a really close bond, you know, because my grandparents would bring me to the hospital and my parents would be there, you know, and I would stand there while he was, I mean, he was just like white, you know, like no color, no nothing. So it was, it was definitely, it was, it was tough. But, uh, um, once he pulled through, then it was just, you know, I didn't know any better. I was, I was only, you know, barely two years older than him. So I just grew up getting used to that. And then it wasn't until maybe, I guess, late at like late elementary years, like middle school years when I realized it wasn't kind of the same as everybody else, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The content, like what are obviously whatever the context you're raised in, like that's normal until someone else tells you it's not normal. Right. And I mean, like when you see your friends like hanging out after school or going to do this and going to do that, like my parents had to work uh, both of them full time because, you know, the hospital bills were crazy. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't an easy thing. So I'd be home, you know, at like 10 years old, 11 years old, you know, going straight home to, to make sure that I was with him in case anything happened. Cause you know, he wasn't able to articulate exactly, you know, if, if he was feeling sick or if it was this or that or whatever. So I had to kind of be there and, and wait it out. So there's a lot of things that, you know, I didn't really kind of experience. And I, I would see that as you kind of got into those awkward teen years, you know, when everyone's hanging out and doing this and smoking cigarettes and right. getting all that stuff, you know? So I, I kind of missed out on that. Yeah. Well, it's, <laughs> that i mean obviously it's awesome that you were able to you know be there for him your parents had to you know what were they doing for work your parents uh well my father was uh my father was a truck driver for Stelladoro cookies out of the bronx and he worked construction on the side okay so he he was he was working two jobs which eventually just he ended up just starting his own uh contracting business after that Mm -hmm. and my mom um she did a bunch of stuff. She, she, she did whatever she could to help out. She had um, a few office jobs, things like that. She would babysit. Sure. Uh, just, you know, that kind of stuff to just make sure that there was, you know, enough to kind of take care of all the stuff that we needed. Yeah, no, for sure. She, she was hustling. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Big time. I mean, my whole family is like super hustlers, you know, like 
that's just, I mean, that's, that's how I was raised. I mean, really, really hardworking, really, you know, um, dedicated to, to family and to, you know, making sure that everything was okay. So it was good. It was good to grow up around. You were obviously given a sense of responsibility before you knew what that word even meant. Yeah, definitely. (laughs) And so, uh, so yeah, as you, as you started to grow up and start to enter, like, you know, obviously high school is kind of the jumping off point where people start to be able to make their own choices or whatever. So how, you know, what, what sort of kid would you define yourself as? Art was always an important part of your life. Um, so did you find yourself like the dude in the corner drawing pictures or where, where, or were you playing sports? Like, what did you, where did you find yourself? No, it's funny. You know, um, I was a, I was a, a, like a serious, serious jock little kid. You know, I played all the sports. I was really into baseball. I was like, I was pretty good too. You know, I was really, really into it. Mm-hmm. And then when I started hitting those like kind of early teen years, like getting it like 10, 11, 12, I started kind of realizing how things were. Um, and I just developed like a massive, massive, you know, sense of nervousness and anxiety. And it kind of pulled me out of the whole sports world because I would just start, you know, I'd freak out about all sorts of things. It's like, oh my God, you know, what, what if this happens? What if that happens? Cause all of a sudden I'm old enough to like realize, uh-huh. you know, what, what happened when I was younger. So all those things started to manifest, I guess. And then I, um, wait, so like you were, you were, your anxiety from playing sports was derived from like, you were anxious about like, like winning losing games or like was it just no no it was more it was more or less um the the anxiety started to come about like you know honestly I don't even know the root of it but it was it definitely had to do with the fact that uh you know how sick my brother was when he was a kid and then I started to like understand the concept of hospitals and and, uh, so like getting injured or whatever yeah yeah so then I started I was like well what happens if I get you know, I get sick on the field or something happens and I got to go to the hospital or, you know, something where it's like you're supposed to just be enjoying yourself and, and something bad could happen at any moment. I st- for some reason, I just like started focusing on those kinds of things and my anxiety levels were just like outrageous. Right. How, how did you so like, did, how did it manifest itself? Like, you know, did you kind of just like, you know, run off the field or whatever? Or like, oh, I can't I can't go up to bat right now. Well, I, I stuck it out. I played like my last, you know, I played like my last season, you know, whatever. And then it was really starting to get bad. And then I tried the year after. And I think it was like the first or second practice. I got I had gotten moved up to the uh, age level after me mm-hmm. because I, I was pretty good when I was a kid. So they moved me up. And then I started, you know, all the pressure and everything. I started getting really anxious about it. So within the first couple of practices, I just... I didn't know how to deal with it. So I, uh, I stopped then oh. and was kind of like trying to figure out what to do with myself because that was, you know, I, I had drawn all my life, but that wasn't really what I identified my, myself with when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I was more like, you know, I was like shortstop, you know, that's what I was when I was a kid. So now, obviously I can, you can see exactly where it comes from. It's like you had to be responsible at an early age. So therefore you were completely cognizant of like, dude, like I could get like hit in the head of the baseball or something like, and I wouldn't be able to, you know, not only would I be screwed, but my brother would be screwed. My family would be screwed. Like, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's all sorts of little things. I mean, there was, I mean, you know, I saw kids get hit in the head. I got hit in the mouth a bunch of times, you know, like all sorts of stupid that. I mean, yeah. Someone like hit me in the head with a bat once. It wasn't like a hard hit, but it was hard enough to be like, oh man, if that was harder, I could have been in serious trouble. Yeah. So like there's, I mean, all sorts of weird stuff that happens. I've seen, you know, like you see like kids slide and they break their leg or something, you know, cause yeah. it happens. 
Totally, but, totally. But yeah, because you didn't, you weren't afforded the fact that you couldn't, or you had to care about that. You couldn't just be like a kid, but whatever, dude. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because it was like, I, like, you know, like when you're a kid and you're just like jumping off trees and climbing shit, you, you think like, you know, whatever happens, I'll be fine. Yeah. But I had witnessed, you know, what happens if, if you're not fine. And it's, it was scary. Yeah, I know. Well, that's, yeah, that's, I can completely attach those two things and completely understand where you're coming from. <laughs> So then, as you started to transition into high school, um, you well, were- it was even before that. When I when I was in middle school is when I started to kind of get a little bit more introverted because I was always very outgoing. Mm-hmm. So I started trying to figure out new things to get interested in and new ways to kind of deal with it because I started getting like social anxiety from it and all sorts of annoying stuff. So um, then I kind of went back to art and started drawing more. And getting more into music. And then that's when I started kind of learning more about hardcore and metal and stuff like that from, you know, friends and friends, older brothers who were in bands. Mm -hmm. And by the time high school rolled around, I was already pretty, pretty deep into like just hardcore in general. Right. Uh, Playing in bands and going to shows all over the place. And then, you know, and then once I started getting into that, then it was like it was the same thing as playing a game, you know, because then you're, you're in front of a bunch of people you know, you're, you're in the spotlight. So then I started getting those feelings again, but except, except this time I kind of figured out how to deal with them a little bit and how to kind of cope with them. So it kind of came back around. And then that's when I, I kind of started going back to my normal self, except um, now I had more art, I had music and I had all these, you know, new and different friends and all these different experiences that came from it. Interesting. Yeah. So basically through, um, through music, you were able to obviously not only find, you know, a sense of identity, but it was able to kind of push you past the anxiety you were experiencing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially when you get up there when you're a kid, I mean, I started playing hardcore shows when I was maybe 14 or 15. I get my, my parents would drive me in a station wagon with my drums and my friends and we'd set up and everyone else there would be like 18 or in their twenties or some of them even in their thirties, Right. you know? Um, and then we'd have to get up on stage and there'd be, you know, 50, a hundred kids sitting there waiting for us to play and you could have mess up, you know? Right. Right. I, I, it's so funny. The whole, like I started playing bands when I was like 16, 17, but yeah. I think it, honestly, it's something I think that's so inherent to New York in general, where it's like, you know, obviously you go back to, you know, late eighties hardcore. And it's like, you know, you hear about, you know, Sammy from youth of today, like he was like 14, you know, when he started playing youth of today. Yeah, exactly. That really doesn't exist in many other no. parts of the country. It's like usually you have to wait until, you know, like 15, 16, like to have that level of independence. But just because like maybe it's just a level of trust in New York where they're just like, oh, yeah, like I can drop my kids off. I know it'll be OK. Like, God, you know, I don't even know, man. I think it's just I don't even know if it's trust. I think it's just like, you know, my dad would always talk about like the difference between like book smarts and street smarts and stuff like that. You know, and I was always very aware of. You know, if you're out on the street, you you watch the people who are walking around you. You don't do anything stupid. You don't talk to people who you shouldn't be talking to, all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that learning that really helped, you know, my parents trust me more when I was younger. To You know, they would drop me off, you know, in like all these random spots in the city or in Queens or wherever and just like be like, all right, let us know when you're done and, you know, we'll come and get you. And, you know, who knows? I mean, this is... Like, but the first show I ever played was this place in uh, Bayside, Queens, called Voodoo Lounge. And that place got shut down because someone got stabbed in the head. And again, that's so typical in New York. You're like, oh, yeah, that, ha- that happens. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, that's, you know, it could have, could have happened anywhere. It could have happened at any time, but that's, yeah. 
that's the type of place you were in. Sometimes bad stuff happens. So what pulled you toward um, drums and like was music a part of your life? Like, you know, did your parents introduce you to it and kind of grew up with a love with it? Or was it only because, you know, your friends and, uh, you know, older brothers, friends were kind of into that stuff that sort of intro you into independent music? Well, it's pretty cool. I mean, I, I definitely grew up with a creative family, you know, and when I was younger, my parents always really had, they, they always really loved music. They always had music on. I was always really into it. You know, they, they bought me like a little drum set, a little guitar, and I would always kind of play around. And my mom's brother was a, was a drummer actually in a, a Rush cover band. Oh my God. That's amazing. Yeah, he was a really good drummer. So I, he started teaching me how to play the drums when I was uh, about nine or 10 so I started learning when I was real, real young, and I got really into it because it was just one of those things where you could create something that just sounded really cool. You could let aggression out, and it, everything was like all okay, you know. Mm-hmm. So I, I got into it. I got into a real, real serious because I would. Then I started listening to Rush. I started getting into like really technical drumming, and then, then through that, I kind of discovered more of like the heavier stuff and. Anything that had really fast drums or lots of double bass or anything like that, I, I just gravitated towards immediately because it was, you know, really high energy and really intense and, and really difficult to master. And I, I got real into it. Yeah, it's it's funny because I, I definitely see, you know, kids, especially when they're intro to like music, like they either go one of two ways where it's like one, they're drawn to like the technical aspect of it because that's just impressive. <laughs> or it's like either they're just like the, you know, the message and the simplicity behind like, you know, whatever punk or whatever style of music you get into. It's awesome that you were like progressive metal. That sounds like the way I need to go. Oh, totally. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. And so you're, what band was that with? Cause usually the first bands that you play in, they have to have a terrible name. Oh, uh, the first, well, <laughs> the very first band I ever played, played in with my friend, Mike, he was my, this, this kid, Mike, was my lifelong friend. We met when we were three years old in nursery school, and we've been friends ever since. And we played in every band together. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> the very first band was pretty much like a weird, like Nirvana meets, you know, bad Metallica meets really uh, basic hardcore ripoff band. And it was called it was called Euphoria at the time. We were maybe like 10 or 11. Holy shit. And the first real band we played in was called Fight to Survive. And that was that was a hardcore band that we started uh, probably around, I'm going to say maybe 14 or 15 years old. Okay. That, that, that name is, like, that's not, obviously it's not the best name ever, but that's not terrible. Like, you know, that, it wasn't that bad. I mean, we spent a lot of time trying to come up with names. We were all like, you know, because you know, like what hardcore band names were all back in the day. Like it was always just like army inspired or... Right. or anti-police inspired or anything that's just right like that anarchy kind of basic nonsense your first like band where you're actually gonna like play a show it's like such a it's so so torturous to find that name you're just like god what are we gonna do awful it really was and well you know what the thing was too is uh back then a lot of bands had um the way that you would talk about bands was with their initials like we were huge fans of of vod and we were like we want to be like vod because they get to use the initials. It's like vision disorder, VOD. We, we want a band where we can just say the initials of it, you know? That's perfect. I like that. So we're like, oh, it's got to be at least three words. So we can be like FTS, you know, and everyone hears FTS and they know it's fight to survive. 
<laughs> That's I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> you were like, you just took that direct inspiration and like, this is what we're doing. Oh yeah, I mean that's I, that's that's how it comes down to. It's like it's it's like what, what's the nickname? Like what what is the logo going to look like? What's it going to look like on a t shirt? Like how are you going to like draw it on a wall or like carve it into a desk? Yeah, that's what we were thinking of. You know, is that when you started to kind of uh, you know like did you do art for the band and stuff like that? So much. Yeah, it was great. It was the perfect outlet for it. Um, and at that time is. I started teaching myself Photoshop. I started learning more and more about design. I started kind of going out there and seeking, you know, just design in general so I could learn more about it. And around that time is when I actually started freelancing, you know, and doing my first professional work. Like I was doing a lot of, you know, logos and and demo covers and flyers and T-shirt designs for all the bands. Um, And then I was doing, you know, really, really terrible websites for local businesses, and I was like 14 years old. That's amazing. So you, you were doing websites on like Angel Fire and stuff like that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's amazing. So like what bands were you kind of cutting your teeth with as far as like, you know, that were, I mean, obviously, like you mentioned Vision of Disorder. What else is like, what, what shows were you going to around that time? And like, what was the, you know, other sort of inspirations as you were you know, growing within that scene? Well, I had always, the thing that was tough about me was that I was into that progressive kind of stuff from learning you know, rush drumming from my uncle. Right. Um, and I was really into the heavier metal side of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was never into the old school stuff. I was always into the more new school hardcore. So sure. um, luckily, like Long Island and Queens had a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So I was into, you know, like VOD, Sky Came Falling, Incision, uh, oh. Irate, Sworn Enemy. Um, Man, like all the really like the tougher stuff, the kind of crazy sounding stuff. Sure, or like stuff. Once stuff started to transition, you know, once like metalcore started to become a thing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, and there was all those bands that were like pre-metalcore, metalcore. Yeah, you know, that had like that that metal influence, but but was still hardcore bands, and in between songs would still preach about unity and all that garbage. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, in seeing how you've progressed with your, you know, your art and your career from that perspective, I mean, obviously, you know, you know, you know that designers come from, you know, all walks of life. But like nothing is more like you said that nothing is more fertile and easy to kind of like understand how to like create art than like a music scene. And I always get my mind always gets blown when someone like, you know, is a great designer and they've got no connection to any of that, like any music at all or any scene or any community. It's just like, oh, yeah, I like to create art. It's like, right. Where'd you come from? Like, it's crazy. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And so as you were like, were you a good student in high school or was it one of those things you just kind of like went just to go? No, no, no. I was actually, I was like in all honors classes. I had like all A pluses and all that, you know? (laughs) Nice. And did you do that kind of for your parents or was it for yourself? Like you were really wanted to kind of better yourself from that perspective. I never studied or anything, man. It was just one of those things that came natural. Yeah, the, those and all those kids look at you and you're just like, that fucking John always gets A's <laughs> on tests. Well, I was like the only kid in like the honors classes that had uh, really big t-shirts and ripped jeans and stuff that said like, you know, brutal, uncompromising, hardcore, you know, kind of stuff. All the other kids were kind of a little bit more on the, I guess, the more clean cut side or you know, there was that there was that little crew that we had that uh, we had going on, and and luckily, like in my high school too, there was a lot of uh, older kids that were in really good hardcore bands too. So it was uh, it was kind of cool. Like, I mean, it didn't even matter like what classes you were in or what you were doing because you had those like older kids to kind of look up to. And high school was just like a place to be, with, you know, until you went out and played shows or practiced or 
you know, talked about what bands were what, you know? Right, right. How did you, how did your parents begin to react to, I mean, obviously, like you said, they were dropping you off to shows and stuff like that, but did they, you know, were they worried about you? Were they were like, dude, John is getting in with a fucking weird crew of people. I don't think so because I, a lot of the guys that used to play with us, even the older guys were really, really nice guys. I mean, you know, like you got into, especially like, I really liked the tough guy hardcore, you know, like, and there was always fights, but it wasn't fights with each other. It was fights with like outsiders, right. you know? So, I mean, even sometimes like my mom would, would drop me off sometimes and she would, she made friends with like one of the doormen that was always at uh, this place, Castle Heights, that we used to play in. And like some of the older guys would talk to my parents and be like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You know, like they would, they, my, I think my parents knew that, you know, at that point I was at least smart enough to not surround myself with problems, mm-hmm. you know, and the guys that, that we did look up to at the time, I mean, they were our favorite bands, but they were also really good dudes and we were the kids. So they, they kind of looked out for us. And if there was anything, you know, any problems, they were always there to kind of help out, which was great. So we didn't really have like that, like kind of uh, old, like old, like back in the day, hardcore, like punk gutter, you know, trashy, everyone's kind of like mean to each other kind of vibe. It was pretty, it was pretty good. Yeah, that's, well, that's cool. And obviously it made, it made your parents trust what you were involved in and just be like, oh no, like he's taken care of, he'll be okay. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's as much as they could anyway. You know, I'm still like in a in a bar in the middle of Jackson Heights. You know, like, right. don't push it too far. You know, there, there's kids within the scene that obviously, you know, they go the sort of you know straight edge, not partying route, and then there's obviously kids that go the you know the rowdier route. And I I always picture, even though New York City has always had like a, a vibrant straight edge scene, it always seems like there is a more you know like let's party contingent. Like, were yeah. you were you surrounded by that, or were you interested in that, or did that something that you just kind of like turned away from? Um, I you know I I don't drink, I don't smoke, I don't do drugs, I never have, um, and I was. I was never into that whole thing. And there was definitely some straight edge kids and stuff around, but a lot of the guys that I hang out with were, I mean, it was basic. It was just kind of like drinking beers kind of thing, you know, like nothing, nothing too crazy, just your typical kind of teenage, you know, or early twenties kind of mentality. Nothing, you know, no, like, like heavy duty partying. No, no, no one was pulling out white powder and is like, Whoa, what's this? No, 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 no. I mean, it was just, it was just beers, you know, it was nothing, nothing crazy. I mean, you never even saw anyone really pull out like weed or anything ever. It was just like a bunch of guys getting drunk and playing sloppy hardcore. Right, 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 right. You know, (laughs) a good old time. (laughs) I mean, and, but there were like the vegan straight edge kids, like the earth crisis, you know, of course, style kids. Some of those kids were okay. The other ones maybe took it a little too far, but everyone kind of understood their place, I think, within that community. Yeah. And, you know, everyone kind of let everyone else be. That's good. That's good. Yeah. It's yeah. You need strength and diversity, you know? Um, and so as you, as you started to kind of, you know, transition out of high school and like, were, did you want to be like, all right, I want to be a band. I want to be in a band. I want to tour in a band. Like, that's my thing. Or was it, you know, did you have other aspirations from that perspective? Well, I mean, as soon as I really started understanding what design was is when I really started wanting a career in it. Mm-hmm. So I, I wanted to just do music packaging. Like I wanted that to be my life. But I knew that being in a band would also help me get to that point. So if I could work hard in a band and get to a point where more people knew me and more pe- I made more friends and you know, we toured a little bit and got to meet people, then I would be able to get more work out of it too. I was kind of, I was kind of more interested in it for that aspect. Mm-hmm. The band Fight to Survive ended up, we broke up at the end of co- at the end of high school because 
half the band went away to school and the other half stayed home. Right. So, so uh, my friend Mike and I started a new band that was called The Ambition, and we played. It was very metalcore, like Prayer for Cleansing. Kind oh, yeah. Of, you know, like Prayer for Cleansing, Poison the Well, early 2000s kind of uh, metal-infused hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did that, and we ended up playing a lot, and, and we got to a decent point. Like, we were, we were signed to a small label that ended up, you know, like some of the bands that were on there were like Black Dahlia Murder was on it. Um, what label was it? It was called Love Lost Records. Oh, yeah. No, I remember that label. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We were on that label for a little while, and we tried to set up a tour with one of the bands um, out of North Carolina uh, called Quell. Mm-hmm. And they were kind of, we were really friendly with them. They were really nice dudes, really kind of like chaotic. Dude, they put out, they, uh, Quell ended up putting out, because my old band was on a label called Goodfellow Records, and Goodfellow put out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that label was awesome, by the way. Dude, good. Yeah, I play. I played in a band called Taken, and we put out like uh, EP and a and a full length on Goodfellow. Actually, no, two EPs and a full length. So wow, that's I didn't know you were in Taken because I remember back in like early two thousands, Taken in our neck of the woods was like everyone was like, "Oh, have you heard this band? Have you heard this band?" We definitely played good shows up in your area. I definitely remember Taken had such a buzz going for it. You know, at the time, I was like, who is this band? Yeah, yeah. Well, and it was funny because, like, obviously that was kind of the advent of, like, you know, the internet existed, but it wasn't, like, as pervasive as it is now. So it's, like, the bands that were on opposite coasts, you had to kind of wait to get into. Yeah, oh, totally. I mean, the closest thing we had was mp3.com. Oh, yeah. Oh, dude, which was, like, fucking huge. Like, that was, like, a godsend when that came along. When mp3.com came around is when I think I heard Seven Angels, Seven... Seven Plagues for the first time. Yeah, yeah. In this day, that's I always call Evergreen Terrace uh, the MP3.com band because I feel like they got all of their hype from MP3.com. Dude, for sure. <laughs> just as, just as much as bands like you know years later can be called a MySpace band. Like they're totally an MP3.com band. That's perfect. <laughs> we played we played a few shows up in uh, that area. Like we played the Backstreet Blues. I think. Oh yeah, yeah, totally. We got bands from Backstreet Blues. Oh, what did you do? Because we were, um, because we were like, you know, like we were, we were like the tough guys or whatever. So all of our friends that came and by that point is when you you started seeing like that crossover of like emo kids and new metal kids and hardcore kids and metalcore kids, like all kind of going to the same shows. Mm -hmm. And it just started getting really bad at that time. And all of our friends were like, Queens and Long Island kids, and if anyone did anything out of line, it would immediately turn into a fight. Right. So we would just play shows and go around, and we got banned from playing there because uh, the our crowd that we brought was just like too rowdy, right? Or just wanted nothing to do with it. Yeah, no that that was such a that was such a weird club too. They had then they had they had mirrors on either the ceiling or the walls. I just remember it being a really weird venue. Yeah, it was in a basement. It yeah. was in a and it was like an old like jazz club kind of thing. That yeah, was that's it. Train station. Because I, I think every person that gets into design, because usually you've got one dude in the band that is into that because obviously it makes it cheap for the band. They don't need to hire somebody to do their t-shirt designs or whatever. Exactly, yeah. But I, I think it's awesome that you had the foresight to be like, all right, my band is going to get me work and vice versa. Like, right. 
I, I just like that sort of planning where it's like, yeah, this is this this is what's going to work out. Yeah, it was just like one of those things, man. Like at a certain point, like toward the very beginning of college or the end of high school, I was introduced to Asterix Studios. Oh yeah, and I was in love with their website. It was like um, it, it was like a godsend. You know, it's like everything they had was just incredible music packaging, and I was just so obsessed. And that's like one of the when they split off. When they split off to make Invisible Creature, mm-hmm. I was like, I, these guys, they don't even have to do any work. They're already like legends. Like they can just put up a website and I'll still say that they're the best studio around. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, especially with independent music, design was important, but you didn't really recognize consistency in people. Like, you know, right. you just, oh, here's a layout. That's cool. But right, exactly. they definitely, you know, the, the Clark brothers were definitely the first that I recall as well, where it was like you actually paid attention. Well, I think between them and obviously Jake Bannon from Converge. Right, exactly. exactly. Were, those were the first dudes where you were just like, oh, wow, like they do like their artwork is consistent and consistently good. And Well, like J- Jacob Bannon, I mean, I, I almost feel like he defined a style. Yeah. You know, that whole like, like the opposite of December cover where it was like this collage style and this uh, these different kinds of colors and these different fonts and everything. Like it almost kind of, it, it kind of came out of nowhere. I mean, you know, between Jake Bannon, the Clark Brothers... And like Derek Hess. No, that's true. That's true. Derek Hess. So, yeah, I was sold, man. I was like, this is what I need to be doing. Yeah. And that's, that's awesome that you, you're able to attach yourself to something and be like, I see, I see where they're at. I want to achieve that in some small fashion. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You didn't go to college or you were um, just kind of trying to do the band and freelance stuff? Yeah, no, I did. I went to college and I worked and I did the band and I freelanced. So I was like, I mean, that's, that's how I've always been. You know, I just do a million things at once. I can't, I need to, I need to be active 24 hours a day, you know? But when I went to college, I went to, I went to a local school. Like I didn't, I didn't want to, I didn't want to leave home because I liked where I was. And that's kind of like a curse of like a lot of Long Island kids is that they never leave. So I didn't really want to leave at the time, even though there was like cool stuff out there for me to do. I, I just, I was, you know, I was kind of a homebody. I liked, I had all my places, all my spots, all the, you know, I knew everybody and I was comfortable. So I went to, I went to a local college and um, they, uh, I, I made really good friends with all the art department. I, I, you know, I majored in graphic design and stuff, but I had been doing it for so long that my teachers kind of let me kind of do my own thing. I would freelance and get graded on it instead of doing the school projects, you know, cause I didn't. I was already past a lot of that stuff. So it was kind of, um, it was kind of a cool experience. I got to talk to my teachers more about business and production as opposed to learning the basics. So they would, they, it was great because they would, they would kind of treat me more like I was past that stage of foundation learning. I, I got, I got such a different education than most of the other kids that were there because I had already known, you know, like what going into pre-production was like. I had already known what billing was like, and I had already known what like dealing with clients was like. So I was able to talk to them more about that kind of stuff. That's, that's amazing that I, hearing what you did and what you went through, like, it just gets me so stoked because like, I, you know, I mean, I know that you do speaking engagements to kids and stuff like that. And I think like the most valuable lesson that can be passed on to kids in high school or even, you know, in junior high is like, you don't need to wait for your quote unquote life to begin. Like you can do shit now, like get, right. into, get into it now. There's nothing right, holding right. you back. Exactly. I totally agree. I mean, I couldn't, I just couldn't wait. You know, I wanted to do it and I wanted to do it when I wanted to do it. So I just started. Mm-hmm. And the, the great thing about the computer was is that there was more instant gratification with that, you know, yeah. like so you could type out a font, you could, 
make a shape and fill the color. You didn't have to sit there and paint the color in. You didn't have to sit there and, you know, that's, that's kind of where once I learned about that, you know, I really started to uh, appreciate what could be done with it, you know, because one of the things that I always hated about art when I was a kid was how long a lot of it took. Like I had a vision, I wanted the vision to happen, but then after, you know, halfway through, you know, a couple hours deep, I just got sick of it. I was like, I'm sick of coloring in these shapes. I'm sick of doing this, doing that. And, you know, I'm sick of sharpening the colored pencils. And going to get- <laughs> right. You know, I just got tired of it. And then when I learned about how, how easy the computer could make it in terms of, you know, time, I was, I was all over it. Yeah, yeah. That's so, that's so awesome. You're like, yo, I don't have the fucking patience for this. I need to get this spilled out on paper immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, I mean, as you well know, since you freelance for so long, like freelancing sucks. Like yeah, totally. as, as your main source of, I mean, there's nothing wrong like you're saying with like, you know, you, you're a hustler and you've no problem doing that, but it's like comes into the consideration where it's just like, all right, like once you have a relationship and like, you know, right. how, how long, how long have you been married? Uh, about three and a half years now. Okay. Yeah. And like once that obviously starts to enter the picture of like, oh man, like I'm, I'm responsible for someone besides like the food yeah. that's on my plate. Yeah, um, that's true. You know, how, how did you kind of wrestle in your own mind the past where it's like, or the path of, all right, I m- maybe should try to get a, you know, whatever, full-time design gig? Because I, I know you had one for, for a while um, yeah. versus like, all right, like I really need to build something on my own. When I, when I graduated college, you know, they had, they have like the senior show and all that shit. And I had done a few projects that were, I got paid for you know, I did, I did a great, I, you know, I did some great album work. I did some poster work and I, I hung them up and there was a local studio that came by and they said, you know, we want you to work on some t-shirt designs for us. Come by the studio, whatever. I was like, okay, cool. So I, I put on my suit and I bring my portfolio and I walk in there thinking, you know, I don't know what a design studio is like. So I walk in there thinking it's like a business meeting mm-hmm. and it's just a couple of guys in like shorts and a t-shirt, uh, in a room and they're doing websites and, doing all this stuff and their work was actually pretty terrible. And I remember looking at them and saying, you know, my work is a million times better than this. How come I'm not doing this? I could have their work. I could be making more money than them. I walked out of there and decided that I was going to freelance right away. Right. I graduated, I graduated college and went straight into freelancing. And then it turns out that I did not have the discipline. I didn't have the resources. I couldn't do it. After a couple of months, I threw in the towel and I went, and I worked someplace else. Mm-hmm. Then I, I got a call from my friend, Matt. He actually, we started CXXVI together, mm-hmm. but he, he called me and he said, Hey, the place I'm working at is uh, tiring. You should, you should come in and take this job. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so I went in there and I interviewed and I took the job. And the way that that environment was set up, it was like, it was a bunch of young guys and the majority of the business was a print brokering business. But we also did design on the side. And the way it worked was that since we were doing print brokering and design, all the design had to be done faster than you could imagine. Like you, it had to be good and it had to be fast. Mm-hmm. So I learned – I thought I was fast before then, but I had to learn speed and you know um, discipline and, and just kind of like how to get ideas out of my head as quickly as possible. And uh, Matt and I, to this day, still call that place Design Boot Camp. <laughs> That's awesome. It trained us to get shit done fast and well. So after that, I was, you know, I, I had learned a lot about business. You know, I become really friendly with the owner and we, we had a lot of talks about it. And, uh, you know, I went out and I started my own studio. And then, and then soon after, Matt came in and he, and, and he worked with me. 
we st- we did the studio for a while and then we started the clothing company for a while and the clothing company afforded me the chance to kind of do the work that I wanted to do. Um, and then once I started getting some recognition for the designs that I was doing for CXXVI, um, I started getting more freelance jobs and I started getting, you know, attention from the type of clients I had always wanted attention from. Mm-hmm. My wife and I had just gotten married at that point and we were broke. Like, I mean, as broke as you could be. And um, I, I, <laughs> I asked her, I was like, can I take a couple thousand dollars out of our wedding present, you know, fund and buy a new computer and, and try this freelancing thing again full time. And I was, I was really nervous because that was like a big thing to ask of her. And she was like, yeah, go for it. And I was like, I promise I'll pay it back. She's like, just do what you have to do. So she was really supportive of it, which was great. And uh, I went out, I, I bought an iMac and I sat down and I started messing around. And uh, it's, ever since then, I've been, I've been going at it full time. And now, um, now the clothing company is licensed and it's, you know, it's, it's not a headache for me anymore. I design and I creative direct, but, you know, I don't have to worry about production and sales and all that. And I just freelance full, full time now. Yeah. And it's, it's so much better now that I've been through all the different types of hells that you could, you know, think of as a design professional. Because now I know what to avoid and I know what kind of um, what kind of attitude it takes to, to get work done and, you know, how to make X amount of dollars to survive, how to make this amount to save and, you know, how to keep clients and how to keep keep the, the portfolio growing. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, you, you all you did was just basically piece together all of the bits that you learned over the years and be like, all right, like I know how to not fuck up so badly anymore. Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, the the idea of a clothing company, like to say there's a lot of competition out there is like an understatement. Everybody has a fucking clothing company, like mm-hmm. not not illegitimizing the work that you do. Plus, the definition of a clothing company is definitely um, very small because a person can open up, you know, a big cartel page and have three shirts and they have a clothing company. Well, totally. I, I, I totally agree with you, because if that wasn't the case, then I wouldn't have ever opened a clothing company. Right. Oh, it's just. Oh, if this asshole can do it, why can't I? <laughs> I love I love your attitude for everything where it's just like, dude, look at this fucking jerk over here. I can totally I can do better than him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, one of those things always I, I battle. You know, like when you're younger, you think you're invincible and you think you're so great at everything and, and then and then, you know, you get a dose of reality and you come back to Earth and it's just one of those things that's like a constant roller coaster. It's like, well, at this point in my life I'm so much better than this guy, I should be better than him. And then, you know, you get to a certain point and then you are better than that person and someone else comes along and knocks you right back down and, and you go, oh, wow, I'm, you know, I'm not that good. I really need to keep working, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. It's like that. It, it's good that obviously the barrier to entry is low in regards to that. But, you know, you want to make sure that the stuff you're putting out there isn't just like super regurgitated, which like I, that's what I think is cool about the design aesthetic that you put forward where it... um it's interesting because it's like, it's so, it can be applied to anything. Like, you know, you obviously yeah. have worked for, you know, very large corporate clients. Um, and then obviously all the way down to, you know, like doing a, po- doing a show poster for thrice, you know, um, it's just cool that you're able to kind of apply that aesthetic and still like retain who you are. Cause like, that's always the balance of like art, yeah. and, art and commerce where it's like, right. And like, you know, right. ha- have you have you been like let me put it this way have you been approached by like you know certain companies where they've wanted you to do a certain thing and it's kind of like oh this makes me feel uncomfortable but I'll still do it because I can get my voice across or is that is that a thought process that you're going through There's a few things that you know you especially working with bigger corporate jobs there's a few things that'll come across and you'll have to 
think about whether or not you want to um, follow through with it. You know, there's there's the one where someone will ask you to do something that's not necessarily your voice. There's the one where someone will kind of do something for something you necessarily don't agree with. Where do I want to draw the line? Mm-hmm. You know, like I've had, like I don't drink, you know, but ton, like half of my clients are all alcohol related. That kind of thing. It's just like, well, I have the ability to do something cool. Um, I'm not doing anything that directly harms anyone. It's it's people can make their own decisions. And and that's that's kind of the way I look at that kind of stuff. And then there's the then there's the clients that say, you know, we want you to do a design for this, you know, but we want you to do it in this style. Do I look at this as a challenge to do something different or is this something that's just not me and I'm just going to lose my voice in and they might as well just, you know, hire anyone else to do it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's kind of like you're going to have to weigh your options and think about once the project is finished, how you're going to look and how you're going to be perceived is it done? Am I going to be proud of it? And, you know, are people going to come to my website and look at it and be like, wow, this was great. Or, or oh my God, I, I can't only imagine how much he got paid to do something this much, not in his style. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So it's, I, I try to be as true to myself as possible, especially since, you know, when I started the design studio years ago, I, really tried to do everything you know i tried to make everybody happy i tried to do any style that anyone wanted and it turns out i mean no one no one wants someone who can do everything in that in that sense you know people come to you because you do one thing and do one thing well and that's and that's kind of the attitude i've had over the past few years because i've seen the stuff that i've done where i've tried to you know please everyone and the stuff that i've done to try and please everyone might be great but the only person who's not pleased in that is me. And then, then, then what's the point of me even doing this? Yeah. You know, I, I got into this because it's something I love and something I enjoy. So I, I look at it as a way where if I can put my voice into it, if I can put, you know, my heart into everything and my ideas and my experiences in life, that's even better than anything I could imagine. I really don't care, you know, what the payment is for that. It's something that I've always dreamed about doing. And it's, if I have that opportunity, I'll take it, you know. Yeah, no, I I like that attitude. When when people are creating authentic art, I really do think it's a trend within pop culture where people, you know, are, are looking for honesty. Like, even if you're, you know, a gigantic corporation, they're trying to become more transparent or be cool. Or, I mean, obviously, corporations have always tried to become cool. But <laughs> yeah, the idea of authenticity and how like people crave it at this point. And so doing stuff that, you know, might be not typical is what people might be drawn to. And it's like, yeah, if people are approaching you in the first place, you have to assume that they, for one, have an understanding of your aesthetic. And right. uh, for two, like that you, you know, you would be able to come at it from your place as opposed to like, oh, hey, can you design something like Shepherd Fairy? <laughs> right, right, right. Exactly. Exactly. And that kind of thing has happened to me before, too. You know, I mean, nowadays it doesn't happen as often, but every now and again, you get like that, you know, art buyer who's not familiar with you and, and someone suggested, you know, it's like, oh, let's, I want to work with John. Let's, you know, let's get him on this project. And the art buyer has a different idea, you know, and it's like conflicting thoughts and they'll, they'll reference work of yours and, and then I'll produce it and they'll say, okay, now clean it up and do a vector version. And it's just like, well, that doesn't even make sense based on, you know, the brief, based on the idea, based on who I am. It's just like, what are you, what are you looking at? You know? Right. But I mean, luckily for me, I've been doing this long and I mean, I've been doing this 16 years now, you know, like I've been doing this long enough where I can just say, 
you know, that's that's not me. I'm sorry. You know, I can recommend some people that can do that. Great for you. But that's not me. And I, I, I'm not interested in it, you know. Right, right. You're able to you're able to weed through that pretty quickly as opposed to like, you know, wasting your time on something. Exactly. I mean, I've been through enough good clients, enough bad clients to know when something is going to go the way of making me miserable, you know, and yeah. I'm just, I just try to <laughs> avoid that as much as possible. Maybe it's just because I've been surrounded by people that, you know, do create art because I myself don't, you know, I'm not talented from that perspective. But like, I always get so frustrated in hearing people give feedback to artists. It's it's the fucking worst. Like for me, it's always like when I look at something, it's either black or white. I either like it or I don't. Right. I'm not like, oh, maybe if that's gray, it would look better. It's like, right, I'm, right. Not, <laughs> I'm not the fucking professional. They put that there for a reason. But yeah, like, right, exactly. yeah, hearing people nitpick shit, just like, I mean, you know, obviously if it drives me crazy, I'm sure you're just like, I can't even wrap my head around this feedback that you're giving me. Oh yeah, it's brutal. It's just like, where are you coming from with this? What's the idea? You know, and that, and that's also kind of where you draw the line of what type of person or what type of businessman you're going to be. You know, are you going to tell this person to go fuck themselves and, and get lost and don't ever talk to me again? Or are you going to be like, you know, try to help them understand it. And if not, let them down gently, you know, like where that you kind of, kind of learn who you are in in a business sense in those types of situations you know because when things are good you just you take the praise and you take the the checks and you're you're happy you know but right. when they're not good then you kind of really see you know what type of person you are yeah dude i, I think that's a it's such an important point you you learn obviously so much more from either your failures your trials you learn so much more from that than obviously like, it's easy to be quote-unquote successful it's easy to do stuff that comes easy to you like <laughs> Right, right, exactly, exactly. Well, John, I really appreciate you hanging out. And yeah, obviously we, uh, we covered a lot of ground. I appreciate you laying it all out there, man. So there you go. That's John Contino. I just love the fact that I've never spoken to this dude before. I hit him up online. He's like, yeah, let's do an interview. And then him and I are just like bros now. Music, so amazing. Just pulls people together. You have that common thread to pull on, and then once you have, it's like, oh, great. We probably did a lot of the same stuff. We lived nowhere near each other, and yeah, it was just amazing. So check out John's work. Uh, just Google John Contino, and you'll be able to find his website, and you can see all the awesome stuff that he does. And his clothing line is also incredible, and you'll be able to find that at, like any Urban Outfitters. So yeah, check it out. Support the supportive propertyofzach.com. Speaking of supportive, go check out that site. And visit 100wordspodcast.com. I share stuff throughout the week that I find that is fun and I think that you should be informed about. Check all that stuff out. And until next week, be safe, everybody. Hey,